0: Hey, George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You George. Bert, do you know me? Know you? Huh. You kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you. Hey, your mouse bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you. <laughs> My mouse bleeding, Bert! My mouse bleeding! tooth petals! Jutu! There they are! Birds! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! Well, Merry Christmas! Merry! Merry! Yeah! Christmas, movie house! Merry Christmas, Emporium! Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building alone! Hey! Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter! Happy New Year to you! In jail! Go on home, they're waiting for you! Recorded live in the USA and covering the whole wide world, this is the Bubble Genius Bob and Chez Show. Ready? With Bob Seska and Chez Pazienza. Nine days left for Christmas shopping. Nine (laughs) days left to fill the stocking. Nine days left for Christmas
1: shopping. Only got nine days left. Hi there, it's getting late. It's getting late. You better hurry and finish your Christmas shopping. Only nine days left.
0: We're hoping that your holiday is an extra special jolly day. Yeah, I'm still here, unless you want to open the front door for me. Uh,
1: I'm afraid well, You have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy?
0: yippee me gay motherfucker. The following podcast contains harsh language, nudity, graphic violence, adult situations, and a healthy obsession with empirical reality. The Bubble Genius Bob and Chez Show. Uh,
1: thank you, Buzz. Buzz Burbank, official announcer of the show. My two favorite Christmas movies right there. Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life and uh, Die Hard. I was thinking that mine actually,
2: uh, it, kind of on the, in the It's a Wonderful Life vein, was uh, Exorcist 3, because <laughs> the, uh, the Gemini killer uh, liked to write, It's a Wonderful Life with two L's, if I remember that correctly. <laughs>
1: That's
2: right. A- that was a
1: surprisingly
2: good movie, actually.
1: Exorcist 3, actually, was very yeah. much a, g- a good, good, scary, movie. First of all, creepy. Brad,
2: Brad Doroth, anything with Brad Doroth is generally really good, and he hams it up all the hell in that, and yeah, there are a couple of, of absolutely terrifying scenes in that movie
1: that scene where it's in the hallway and where the, that where nurse, the thing goes by yeah yeah and and she's checking she hears the noise from in one of the hospital rooms and the nurse is going around checking the rooms and looking in there and then she and it's, it's goes a static
2: in. shot that lasts forever
1: yeah yeah exactly it's a, it's a single yeah it's a single lock what is it like a lockdown wide shot yeah and then she uh she steps out of she steps into the room and this figure comes out of nowhere, holding these gigantic scissors, yes. and you literally crap yourself. I mean, I remember yes. seeing that in the theater, and just it was like a almost like I was going to pass out. There was like the blood yeah, just rushed out of really, my head. That was a really big scene. That one and the one
2: where um, uh, where I, I um, George C. Scott goes to to visit mm. the priest or something like that, and uh, and the clock or no it's it's actually when they when they're showing the priest and the clock stops and they cut and i guess it's st peter or something like that and he suddenly has this like horrifying clown face on it's just really really terrified the shit out of him
1: and then the, there was the one scene where he's in the uh, the one ward with all of the, i guess old mental patients or something and mm-hmm. there's like a like a old lady or something crawling on the ceiling on the ceiling yeah it, it actually i
2: was a, i really i liked that i thought it was a surprisingly good movie i thought that uh, George Scott was really sort of perfectly understated for that, and uh, obviously Brad Dorif hamming it up is fantastic. Right,
1: but uh, but yeah. So that was segueing directly from Christmas movies into The Exorcist Three. <laughs> you know, if you want some holiday cheer, you want to you want to have some fun at your next Christmas party. Dole out some eggnog, get every, everyone good and schnockered, and then put on Exorcist Three. That is a great holiday movie right here. And then that scene—watch everyone yak up their eggnog on that one hallway hospital scene. And you can find it on YouTube, by the way. The entire I that, Exorcist movie—I
2: actually, actually saw it a while back.
1: Those—the first Exorcist movie and the third one, man, God.
2: Oh, the first, no, the first. There's a reason that people consider that to be the scariest movie ever made. It, and I can't—you're right. I can't believe we're talking about this now. It's like uh, we're past Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I know the Christmas season here and. We're talking about
1: scary movies. As our uh, douchey announcer says, nine days left.
2: I'm, I'm I like how at the end of that, by the way, it sounds like the batteries in your Walkman are dying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it all of a sudden just starts to slow down.
1: Yeah, he's, yeah, his voice gets really kind of weird because I imagine this guy. Uh, this announcer guy, we're, we're talking about this uh, stupid jingle that I play, or I have been playing during, throughout the Christmas season. This thing. Here.
0: Nine days left for Christmas time. But I'm going to skip past it's that.
1: It's gotten late. Yeah. You better hurry and finish your Christmas shopping. Only nine days left. Yeah, and that that guy, I imagine, just being this, I don't know, fifty year old announcer, and he's it's maybe mid July when they're recording it, and he's. He's got nine scotches in him and smoking a you know, pack of Luckies, and he's in there in that booth just drunk, and he's got to go through all, like, I don't know how many days. I think there, I think there are something like 30 drop-in jingles that I have in this collection <laughs> that count down the days till Christmas, <laughs> and this guy's got to go through every single one, multiple takes, and so by the time he's getting a nine, he's just a little blasted.
2: Drunk as crap. Yeah.
1: All those old guys. Yeah, it's all during that sort of uh, Don Draper, Mad Men era. You know, sort of the golden age of of radio and jingles and all that crap. The golden age of misogyny. That's right. So, but, you know, speaking of misogyny, uh, we've got the uh, Bob and Ches show After Party coming up next month. I want to mention that. (laughs) There's there's nothing misogynistic about it, I assure you. I just couldn't think of any other... Segment. Please, yeah, just, speaking of... Don't even get the- me
2: started, because I already got the crap <laughs> kicked out of me this week for uh, for making a really rude joke about Tim Tebow on the blog. And, and oh, my God. I think it's like it's like we're up to, like, 50 comments now for people just beating the shit out of me for it.
1: Well, ranking on Tim Tebow is one thing, but, you know, the the Bob and Chez show After Party will not have any women hating in it. True. Um, there's a big... Uh, Row happening online and in the political realm about the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. ND- Very nice segue. NDAA, as I like to say, the Senate passed it earlier in the month. House passed it last night, and then the Senate passed the the conference version today. And the president is expected to sign it. It's just, and it's you know it's it's you know your typical funding of the military, and there's some other stuff in there, including. It's the other stuff that matters. It's the other stuff. It's and it's just one of those things where I just I I tweeted this last night. It just makes me want a drink. I, I just need a drink because mm-hmm. on one hand everyone's hysterical about it, and but there there's so much misinformation flying around. Um, and at the same time, I I can understand why this is bad because it's it's putting into law. The idea of indefinite det- detention. I mean, America should not be doing it. We've done it in the past. It's been disgraceful. It's been, uh, you know, it's run contrary to our values as a nation. Uh, we've done it, but it's awful. And it looks like what we've been doing since 9-11, uh, sort of under the table, is now going to be uh, law. We'll be like, it's okay. Congress has now sanctioned this. Said, this is fine. Go and do it. And that's really bad. It's bad and ugly, and it's disappointing to see the president going to be signing that in a law. If he, hasn't, if, if he hasn't done it already right as we're recording this show, he's probably going to. I expect there's going to be a signing statement in there. I have no idea what the signing statement's going to be. So this is uh, – right. but this is – I mean, everything is so murky about it because you really – and there's, there's so many people complaining. and, and why, like you got Will Wheaton on Twitter screaming for the impeachment of the president over this. I mean, even Wait, Will
2: Wheaton. Will Wheaton, yeah. Well, in that case, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to take it seriously, but
1: oh. In addition to that, uh, you've got uh, Andrew Sullivan, who's a supporter of the president, really ripping him in- into uh, this uh, decision today to, to to not veto it. Because if you remember, uh, this law was going to be uh, the White House was threatening to veto the thing, and then it went to conference and. Uh, as a consequence of being in conference committee, they, they softened the language. They basically said that, uh, you know, the, it's, the president has the discretion to try these detainees in a civilian court rather than just the uh, military commissions and uh, and several other things. But what's, what people are hearing is indefinite detention, unconstitutional, you know, like just guys being locked away forever without knowing why they're charged. Which is not true. Again, I go back to the Supreme Court decision. It was in June of 2008. The Supreme Court struck down the suspension of habeas corpus. It basically said that anyone, regardless of whether they're a citizen or whether they're from Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever, they have the right to petition in federal court to find out why they're being held. Right. So they they can do that. The, any suspension of habeas corpus a- has been sh- struck down and ruled unconstitutional. So, and this law has to follow that precedent. Nothing in this law says that we're going to lock people away forever, and they're not going to know why they're, they're there or well, they can't talk to any. The the issue is that
2: you have to. I mean, from what I from what I've been reading, and to be honest, I've been buried in work, so I, I haven't had uh, I haven't been able to read up on this as much as I like. But I know that. Um, Uh, A lot of the arguments that I've heard that are very strongly against this, as opposed to just sort of like you were saying, sort of the, well, look, this is a bad thing and we should talk about this. Uh, The people who are sort of screaming for Obama's head, um, uh, a lot lot of the the arguments that they seem to be making are the the sort of extended, uh, well, if you think that this doesn't mean that it will be, you know, that it won't be taken to the umpteenth uh, degree, then you're crazy. I mean, it's not so much what's going to happen as what this can mean and you know I kinda feel like I mean I don't know I kinda feel like the whole thing has to be parsed a little bit but but look you know what I've I've seen a lot of people a uh, uh, a lot of people who normally don't like the president writing about this and they say you know one of the big arguments they make is oh, you know um uh, how are the people who defend Obama so much what are they gonna say about this and and my attitude is what as somebody who does defend Obama quite a bit, what I'm going to say is it's wrong. You know, I've always said before, when when he does something that I don't like, I mean, obviously, he does get the benefit of the doubt from me because I, I do actually respect him and I think he's made a lot of good decisions. It doesn't mean that I, I'm going to uh, give him a pass on every single thing. It just means that I'm willing to take a second look. So, yeah, I'm looking at this and, and saying, all right, where's, you know, I want to believe in this guy, so where are the ca- where's the catch? Is there something in here that I'm just not seeing? But so far, admittedly, yeah, look, what I've seen of it, it's... You're right. It's not us. It's not America. And it's it's really a shame that he's putting his signature to that.
1: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, what we're doing is we're not, you know, we're not across the board blessing everything and doing the sign of the cross over everything that the, the president says. But what we're trying to do is examine the reality of the situation. What's the political reality? What does the law say? And in this case, the National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, has changed since all of the anger started about it. I mean, I, you, the way the Senate version, the original Senate version of the bill read, was very dangerous. And rightfully so, the president was going to veto it. It went to committee and there was, an, in fact, you know, uh, Adam Smith the a congressman from Washington, Democrat. At. He's a ranking member of the House Armed Services Committee, he wrote a, 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 you know, it was a one-page memo outlining how the language was softened. And, and here's how it goes. Here's what Adam Smith writes. The uh, Authorization for Use of Military Force section in the bill, section 1021, merely codifies current law. Now, that's, bad. that's what I don't like, because I don't, I don't like the current policy of indefinite detention.
2: But right. He said, That's not it's not an argument to say, well, basically, it just codifies what we already know, because yeah. what we already know sucks.
1: That's exactly right. But he continues by saying it specifically states, quote, nothing in this section shall be construed to affect existing law or authorities relating to the detention of United States citizens, lawful resident aliens of the United States or any other persons who are captured or arrested in the United States.
2: Right. But well like I said once again the argument that you're going to get is well if you think that's true, if you think it's going to stop there.
1: Yeah. Well, you're crazy.
2: look, cuz it's going I, <laughs> to be, you know, they'll find a way around it and that's that's the argument you're going to hear. And and it's it's one that, you know, that certainly I'm not 100% sure I can argue with it.
1: Well, my gripe is that well, it's not a gripe. You know, I just I'm kind of re- a realist about what the United States government does. And I think for a long time we've been Doing this sort of this exact sort of thing, even before nine eleven, I think the, the government can basically, under the auspices of national security, can get away with murder. I mean, they can really just I think do it. True, do just I, I about agree anything. with you completely. And so, the fact that we know about it, I believe, is actually kind of a, a positive thing, because <laughs> at least now, with Congress having established a law around this policy, we now can have some accountability for it. We now say, you know what, so-and-so voted for it. My congressman voted for this thing, or my senator voted for this thing. Why did you vote for such an awful thing? And you can hold this guy accountable, or a woman. That makes sense. Uh, Adam Smith continues by saying, Second, any U.S. citizen detained under Section 1021 has the right under habeas corpus to have the legality of any such detention determined by our courts. This is absolutely true. And the reason I... the reason I wanted to underscore that part of Adam Smith's letter is because I read here on Andrew Sullivan, and I, I love Andrew Sullivan's blog. I read that blog probably more than dead. any. Other, yeah, I mean, I read that blog more than any yeah, other I, blog. I
2: like, I like. I mean, I like. You know, I don't agree with everything he says, but I definitely like his blog, and I like the way he writes.
1: That's right. I I like his uh, his reasoned posture, and I like his take on some pop culture things too. But regardless, here's what Andrew Sullivan wrote about this thing today. And of course Andrew Sullivan wrote a big you know, kind of hair on fire. The headline says Obama caves again on civil civil liberties. First of all, I've been on a terror lately. It should be pres- call him the president or President Obama or POTUS for God's sake. But this Obama crap has got to stop. This guy's our president. Call him the president. It's not that difficult to type or say, sorry. But anyway, oh,
2: then you re- this. I see. I don't have an issue with it. I think that officially this is a total tangent here. I think that in an official capacity from a news service, I, I think that you should be respectful and use term. And by the way, most places are every place I've ever worked. It's either, you know, President Obama or President Bush, President Obama uh, uh, or Mr. Um, but in just talking about it. No, I'm not. I'm not pulling the New York Times thing. I'm not the paper of record and I'm not worried about, you know, I, I go for uh, for brevity and convenience. <laughs>
1: Well, I, I think, but that's just me
2: in talking, you know, yeah. and writing for that matter, because you know I write like I talk.
1: Yeah. Well, we could go down a Sorkin uh, wormhole on this, because I have <laughs> I just I have some strong feelings about that, and has has partly to do with the fact that you know I think what we want to do is uh, well, I'm not going to get into it. I mean, it's really going to be a different tangent, and I wanted to get to this point in the Andrew Sullivan okay. piece. Andrew Sullivan says this soon-to-be legislated power will also apply to American civilians. It is a legal and indefinite abolition of habeas corpus. It is not. It is absolutely not. I mean, this was Glenn Greenwald writing on June 12th, 2008. Supreme Court restores habeas corpus, strikes down key part of Military Commissions Act. In a major rebuke to the Bush administration's theories of presidential power and in an equally stinging rebuke to the bipartisan political class, which has supported the Bush detention policies, the U.S. Supreme Court today, in a 5-4 decision, declared Section 7 of the Military Commissions Act of 2006 unconstitutional. The court struck down that section of the MCA because it purported to abolish the writ of habeas corpus, the means by which a detainee challenges his uh, detention in court. And I don't know why I stutter on detention, but I always do, despite the fact that the Constitution permits suspension of that writ only in cases of rebellion or invasion. So, look, uh, and he, oh, he says uh, Guantanamo detainees accused of being enemy combatants have the right to challenge the validity of their detention in a full-fledged U.S. federal court proceeding. And that still applies. Nothing in this bill says, oh, habeas corpus, bye-bye. But I don't know where this, I, I know where this comes from. It's all over Twitter. Habeas corpus is being suspended. It's not. You know, none of the law applies to U.S. citizens. I mean, this is directly uh, from uh, the ranking Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee. You yeah, go, you go but, read the law.
2: You know, if if you if you speaking of wormholes, if you go down the green walled wormhole, we killed an American citizen without due process. Yeah. Right. Know. And, I, you know, so, I,
1: I have a thing on that, too.
2: Oh, I don't give up. <laughs> my honest opinion is. I, you know, and there's no real, I'm not saying, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that there's logic behind it, but I don't give a rat's ass. I've said that to begin with.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, when my view on the, that is. Another
2: tantrum when it comes to the al thing.
1: Yeah, well, President Lincoln, kid- uh, President Lincoln killed 250,000 American citizens. I don't know if you know this, but Lincoln considered every single member of the Confederacy an American. I mean, he never, he didn't, Lincoln did not recognize the Confederate States of America. Lincoln th- felt that those Confederate states were part of the United States, that the rebellion was, in a word, laughable, that they didn't really secede, that they were Americans. And he went to war against American citizens. And in the process, the Union Army killed 250,000 Confederate soldiers, all American citizens, because they took, arms against the United- they took up arms against the United States of America. And al-Awlaki, I mean, he, he was, you know, he was involved with the, uh, oh, the, uh, oh, shoot. I can't remember the name what, of the, is the group.
2: Al-Qaeda in the Arabian uh, Peninsula? The Fort
1: Bra- no, the Fort Bragg uh, shooting. Oh, Nidal Hassan. Yeah, Nidal Hassan. Thank you. I know I had a brain fart on that. Uh, you know, Adam Smith continues by saying, there were, uh, quote, uh, this is uh, an actual quote from the law. This is Section 1032 the requirement to to detain a person in military custody under this section does not extend to citizens of the United States. Adam Smith also says, it also states the requirement to detain under Section 1032, quote, does not extend to a lawful resident alien in the United States on the basis of conduct taking place within the United States, except to the extent permitted by the the Constitution of the United States. Fourth, we also codify periodic review of those being detained at Guantanamo Bay. Now and in the future. Which is an important procedure for those detained indefinitely as a threat to the United States under the the law of war. Uh, The other thing is, uh, you've probably seen on Twitter and elsewhere, uh, Bernie Sanders uh, grandstanding about this law. Uh, And I typically support Bernie Sanders, and I like (coughs) I like what he has to say, and I like what he does. But he's a big fat hypocrite on this. I mean, this is a guy who voted to keep Guantanamo open. I mean, let's say, let's put it this, let's put it fairly. He voted against closing Guantanamo. He voted against, there was a bill that came up in, uh, shoot. I forget what year it was. i got to have to find it here. Uh, it, it, there was a bill that came up, I, it was 2009. Of course it was. And, uh, and it was a bill in the Senate to, uh, to defund the effort to close the president's executive order to close Guantanamo within a year. Bernie Sanders voted yes, which, in effect, said we're, we're not going to fund the closing of Guantanamo. Why? Because we don't know what we're going to do with the prisoners, with the detainees. It well, was a uh, problem. Yeah, Bernie No Sanders, one
2: knows what to, it's easy to say we'll close. Nobody knows what the hell to do with the people there.
1: Well, it was simple. I mean, Bernie Sanders caved to all the hysteria that happened at the time. There was a whole not-in-my-backyard
2: Right. Well, that, that's what it. I meant. Yeah. Because what to do with them is actually relatively easy. But I
1: mean, It was okay to have, you know, Timothy McVeigh locked away in Denver, but you can't put one, like, one guy, one detainee from Guantanamo in a federal prison in New York. Like, said, as I mean, if, you
2: know, as if the prison convoy is going to be attacked by Magneto.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, suddenly he was going to bust out. Like, we'd have to put this guy in a, in a, uh, plexiglass booth like magneto to make sure he doesn't break through with his supernatural powers but uh you know i so look i know it's a new i it's i i don't think people like me so much when i take a nuanced position <laughs> but this is an, i really gotta tell you this is a frustrating thing to talk about because and this is one of the reasons why i want to lead off with it because we we like to talk about frustrating things uh you know it's a it's Anything that has to do with indefinite detention is inherently wrong. It runs contrary to American values. And I know the president will say, and Jay Carney will say this, and we don't, you know, we eventually will get to it. We need, just need to get intelligence and blah, blah, blah. We'll eventually we'll try them in American courts, you know, if, uh, in civilian courts, if X, Y, and Z senators will actually let us and not put a not-in-my-backyard protest on cable news. Uh, but, you know, we're not going to hold these guys forever. Of course we're not. Yeah, well, they're, maybe they won't. But maybe wingnut Republican President X who comes along, you know, four or eight years from now
2: will. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the problem. Yeah. And I've, I've seen a lot of people, you know, I've looked at Twitter and seen a lot of people talk about that. And I think they're right. You know, the, the, president, the presidency will not always, you know, and I'm not even saying there are a lot of people who feel that, that Obama is very measured. I think he is. But uh, the presidency will not always be in the hands of someone who is measured and thoughtful, and that's, and especially that's, not considering the political climate in this country.
1: Uh, we just don't want to do things that's going to give the next crazy person who occupies the White House, the next Bush kind of guy or, God forbid, Newt Gingrich. We don't want to give him any sort of precedent. We don't want to uh, you know, sort of perpetuate that awful behavior. Because we know exactly what's going to happen if, uh, if you know, a lunatic uh, is somehow elected again. And we will elect another lunatic, I assure you. We will elect another Bush-style Republican. It's, just, it's part of our history. It's part, we, we do that shit. We're stupid. <laughs> we elect stupid people sometimes. And it's, uh, it's just so frustrating. Uh, by the way, I launched a new widget on the blog where you can see that. the latest editions of the show. Yeah, I have to get one of
2: those. I was going to ask you about that.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, a WordPress widget. I don't know if that's possible. You can. I, uh, I can send you the code if you want. I can send you
2: the uh,
1: But we're going to be launching the uh, Bob and Chess Show After Party in January. It's our, going to be our sort of subscriber member only. Section, members only section. We're gonna wear our, uh, our, black, our our black members only jacket. Our black members <laughs> only jacket with the little straps on the shoulders. What were those for? Those those button straps on the shoulders wow. of members? Because you put what, you like your
2: epaulette looking things.
1: Yeah, the epaulette looking things. But well, I was wondering if those were utilitarian in some way. Like if anyone ever that. used to like put your sweater through there and. <laughs>
2: When I was, like, in the sixth grade, I wanted one of those things so badly.
1: Oh, man, sixth grade, hell, like eighth grade, ninth grade.
2: <laughs> those were, yeah, everybody who had those were so cool, and I look back at that now, and I can't even imagine it.
1: I've got a picture of myself uh, in, uh, well, you see, you're older than me. So, I mean, maybe... Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're, you just turned 43, hey, fuck right? YouTube up. I just, I just turned 40, you just turned 43. So there's a... Uh, Couple I of just years turned different. 42. Oh, you just turned 42. Okay, 42.
2: damn. 42 last Sunday.
1: Because I was going to be uh, thoroughly embarrassed that I wore a members-only jacket when I was like a, I don't know, like a senior in high school.
2: Wow. Yeah. No, that is pretty bad.
1: That is. Uh, that's 1988, 89. That's still in
2: that 80s. Graduated uh, 80s.
1: Oh, God. Today's show brought to you as it is always by uh, BubbleGenius.com too late for your Christmas ordering, but if you want to, if you're going to visit someone after Christmas, or maybe at the beginning of the new year, maybe purchase them a gift in advance, or maybe just indulge yourself and get yourself some of the best uh, soap, bath, and body products ever available, BubbleGenius.com. Here now is our uh, latest spot. Get the Holzman Bubble Genius.
0: Bubble Genius has plenty of amusing, natural, and affordable bath and body products for everybody. Mistletoe soap on a rope? We got it right here. Looking for a set of holiday light bulb soaps? We got that too. Oh yeah, and gift packs for dogs. Come check us out for the holidays. Or any day. She didn't mention the nab powder. Yeah, I know. Bubblegenius.com! Shove Bob and Chez into your pants and haul them around with you wherever you go. Subscribe to the Bob and Chez
1: Show in the podcast section on iTunes. And make sure to enter your promo code, which is Bob and Ches, B O B A N D C H E Z, and get fifteen percent off your entire order from bubblegenius.com.
2: They sent me my gift pack, which included uh uh a couple of soaps with the Powerpuff Girls and Mojo Jojo on them for my daughter and Ara. So.
1: Oh, that's too cool. Yeah. Well, your which I would, would
2: imagine are not available to purchase because I'm sure there would be licensing issues. But for free, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, they've sent me some uh, some of those types of soaps. One of them actually had my own photo in it, which was kind of disturbing and weird.
2: Uh, please tell me you washed your balls with that. I, I, if I had soap with a picture of me on it, I would I would never ever ever leave my crotch area.
1: <laughs> I just kind of looked at it and went bah. <laughs> just kind of you know, like fumbled it in my hand for a second. Bah! Like I was temporarily frightened. I was like, uh, "This was uh, this freaked me out." This story. I don't know if you saw this. NPR did the story uh, this week. It said uh, the headline said, "Unpaid bills land some debtors behind bars. Like debtors' prisons are back."
2: Uh, yeah, I read something about that. Um, I saw the thing on your on your blog, obviously, but I read
1: something about that uh, probably about two months ago. I mean it's kind of scary. It's you know these guy collection agencies what they can do is uh they can sue you in court. They can file lawsuits even if it's like a few hundred dollars. They can come after you in court and if you and if you don't show up you can be arrested for contempt of court and thrown in jail. I mean, this is a scary thing. And what's scary about it is well the prison part is very scared. I would say so. Yeah, and and some of the people they uh, have who have gone to jail didn't even know that they were being sued. Like they were never even informed. There was never like one guy, you know, just a, a sheriff knocks at the door, opens the door, slaps them. The sheriff slaps him in handcuffs, hauls them off to prison right there in front of his kids. He ended up owing like I don't know a few hundred dollars to as a legal bill or something that he was delinquent on. Sent to a collection agency, they sued him. That he didn't know about the lawsuit. Then the court found him in contempt, and that was it. They, they arrested him. It is absolutely staggering that this is, this is happening. If that were to continue
2: happening, that would be economically, when it comes to economic protests in this country, Occupy Wall Street, that sort of thing, uh, that would be the equivalent of, like, what the draft for Vietnam did for protests against that. Yeah. Well, I assure you, you know, if you really did run the risk, if enough people ran the risk of being hauled off to prison for the inability to pay their bills on time. um, Yeah. I mean, there would be riots in the streets. So that's the kind of thing that I would imagine. I would hope anyway that these collection agencies and these assholes behind this will, will tread very, very lightly with because that really is. That's the draft. That's the kind of thing that would turn. Uh, a couple of people protesting into, you know, into millions and millions of people protesting. Yeah. I mean, that would turn into into righteous anger like nothing we've seen in, in years.
1: Yeah. Well, I assure you that this that, that your risk of being arrested because of this is far greater than your risk of being arrested for uh, under suspicion of terrorism. I mean, oh,
2: I, I agree with that. Yeah,
1: because I think we I mean, I do not say everyone, but a lot of us have had unpaid bills for one reason or another go to collection agencies absolutely and all yeah, you gotta do is uh, uh...
2: not that long ago uh... like about a year and a half ago i wasn't aware that uh... my insurance didn't cover uh... some really quick medical procedure that i had got done and yeah i started getting phone calls and the the jo- <laughs> the joke became every time they called it was and it was like something out of a movie or, or like a bad comedy sketch every time they called it was uh... it was obviously an indian guy and it was always the same guy, at least it sounded just like him, and he always gave me a different Americanized name. So he would call and say, this is Derek Jones. This is, you know, Mark Watson. And, and every time, you know, for the first few times when he would call, I the first thing out of my mouth was, no, your name is not Derek Jones. I will not have a conversation to you that begins with you lying to me. So, no. Tell me your real name. You know, Ravi, please tell me, you know, and I'm not saying that to be insulting the in, to Indian people, but You know, give me your real name, tell me you're calling from a freaking call center in Dubai, and you and I are cool and we'll speak. You know, you try to pretend that you're you're in uh, freaking Dubuque right now and it's not going to
1: work. You know what's happened uh, recently, and this is something that I observed about those types of calls, maybe not specifically collections calls, but calls that are manned by overseas staff, shall we say? Hmm. I think they've got some kind of voice recognition software running with kind of an electronic simulated voice, but it's done in real time now. Because I got a call, and Joy also did a call like this, too, where we actually called, like, customer service line somewhere to get something done. And it was two separate things. I called one place. Joy called another place. And in each instance, we got someone on the line who we thought was a recording, who was just, please give me your full name and birth date. Mm. And but so we would ask, a, we would ask them a specific question and they would come back with a very specific answer. And where, there was a conversation happening, but they sounded like robots. And so, I, I mean, I even said, is, am I speaking to a real person? And they were like, yes, this is a real person. You know, it's like one of those things. It, it was <laughs> it's, not, it was not like it's
2: the, Ray Kurzweil spiritual machine is yeah, talking to you.
1: Ray Kurzweil, the Ray Kurzweil Borg. Is now the right. board collective is speaking to me through Ray Kurzweil. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, yeah, but, by but, the way, yeah.
2: But that's it exactly. I, I think it's funny because I think that the most sort of duplicitous technology and duplicitous communication around comes from these agencies. Whether you're talking to a robot or, like I said, I mean, the idea that these people call me up, or they, you know, they don't anymore. I took care of it this a long time ago. You know, the idea that that they called me and that I sort of got into it back and forth with them. But every single time they would call, it was probably the same guy, if not, you know, somebody sitting right next to him. And it was always it was always an Americanized name. And it was so obvious that he was not, you know, it was and it was the perfect Americanized name, too. It was like it was like they got it right out of freaking Bayberry. <laughs> Hello, my name is Opie. OK, Opie. It's good to talk to you. My what can is, I do for you?
1: Right. Well, this is, I, I think what they're doing is they've got this software where it, it recognizes the person's actual voice with the accent and then instantly converts it into an electronic voice that sounds like it's American. So it's like one of these voices. I think I got one of these demos up here on, online. That's I, no. I see what you're saying. That's interesting. Yeah.
0: Overriding this disclaimer and using this demo confirms agreement with the
1: policies and restrictions described below. It's that kind of voice. Right. You know, where it sounds like a person once recorded the individual. It's, it's a syllable.
2: universal translator. Oh.
1: That's exactly right. It's a universal translator.
2: That just removes all accent or it's, or it's someone, it's one of those things that converts typing into, uh, into words, if you can type fast. Enough.
1: So I'm going to type in something here and see, uh, and see how it sounds here coming out of this voice. Let's take Shape heart, see, so is drunk. <laughs> it, said, it said your first name as Shay. Shea, Shea Patsienza is drunk. Shea Patsienza is drunk. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I am.
2: Good of you to notice. Almost as much fun as when those when those things first came out and you had like the little widget that would show up on people's uh, blogs and stuff that had that uh, uh that had that that like woman's voice and you could convert it to a British accent. I used to love nothing more than in the middle of you know wherever it was I was working to type the most horrifically awful sexual thing into it and just have this computerized voice say it in a British accent.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. I was. I was just looking at the uh, the UK one here.
2: Oh, it's great, dude! It rules. I could use it while masturbating and pretend it was a British girl talking dirty to me.
1: I'm just. I'm trying another. One. I'm typing in another <laughs> one. That's what old I'm old doing. Tonight. I'm getting distracted World here by. <laughs>
0: Give us a big kiss, cheers! <laughs> Give us a big kiss, cheers!
1: So what is that, say, Mark? Sure, I don't know. It's Margaret Thatcher. That's right. Let's see. Uh, there's a German one. There's a Latin one. Oh no! So there is the there is the technology to do that, and I think they're using that uh, for overseas operators. Anyway, but so there's this people who uh, owe money to collections agencies are, are getting hauled off to jail if they don't show up and they're not being informed they're being sued. So, you know, I was thinking about this. What makes it even worse and what makes it scary is that this is a a process, something that was done pre-recession, that's being applied post-recession, when the entire financial situation of the average American has changed significantly. But they're still doing the same awful things that they did before the recession.
2: Now there are just more people to do it to.
1: There's more people to do it to. And people are exponentially more vulnerable to being caught in in sort of a, a debt kind of situation where they're – And it, it is certainly
2: the easiest way to get your money because the people out there who are saying – well, yeah, look, you know what? I could pay that bill, but if I do, my family doesn't eat. That, that thought process, process changes dramatically when I have to do whatever I can to get out of jail.
1: And you have people who have been unemployed for, in some cases, 99 months. Uh, p- people who are uh, on unemployment, getting, uh, being taken off of unemployment, lo- losing their COBRA benefits. Uh, people whose houses uh, are on the brink of foreclosure, their, their mortgages are underwater. Uh, I don't need to list off all of these shitty things about the current economy. But on top of that, to still have the same uh, bastard people process going on with collection agencies and credit rating agencies is, uh, to me, there's something inherently unfair about that. When you, get, well, when you get swallowed under by something that's completely out of your control— it's sure. out of your control, and it, it, it goes to what
2: what I know a lot of people have argued. Matt Taiby, I think, said this perfectly, and I know he, certainly he's not the only one, but basically said that, you know, when you, you – know, I think even you said this. Uh, w- you know, when you screw up, the banks and the collection agencies are on top of you in two seconds. Mm-hmm. It takes no time, and there's no leniency. When the banks, you know, ass-fuck the global economy um, – they they got paid off, you know, they got bailed out and paid off and taken care of. And they they face nothing. They face no real recrimination uh, from our leaders. They face no uh, um, lasting punishment, nothing that would hurt them. But if you, you know, as a victim of of uh, a bank or a foreclosure or anything like that, uh, you know, it, If you fuck up, that's it, man. They're on you in two seconds and they have the cops come out and now obviously haul you off to jail.
1: It's a financial injustice. It's, you know, it reminds me of the the worst parts of the Great Depression. You just have people who are unable to crawl their claw their way out of this hole if they're being treated as if all things are equal, like as if it's, you know, it's 1998 again and the economy's booming and there's one job for every job applicant. Everyone is, is making money uh, left and right on the stock market. That's how they're behaving. But it's not that way. I mean, you've got but people think, who had to. I think
2: it's because that I'm not going to use the term one percent. I think that's been overused. But I think it's because that segment of the population that feels that way, the, the very small segment, and obviously the people who uh, side with them, it's a very sort of insulated community. You know, they don't really know what it's like. They, they don't have an idea.
1: They don't they don't and what they're doing is they're they're raping you because they know you're vulnerable they're just continuing to do it they have no interest and this is again this is the danger I believe of the, this is where the free market is is inherently dangerous because they don't care they're they're completely there's no accountability here they can do whatever the hell they want in the name of earning their profit and appeasing their their board and their shareholders they'll just do it and they know that you are a fish in a barrel, especially now when you, me, everyone in some way was impacted financially by the recession. Not everyone, but most of us in the middle class, working class, you know, we got our asses kicked and some of us are still getting our asses kicked. And what they're doing is they're seizing upon that and exploiting that and uh, by, you know. Uh, using policies and practices that uh, do not take into consideration the fact that everyone was involuntarily financially raped in the process of this recession. And
2: every, yeah, everyone was affected in some way, almost everyone. You know, the, the, the trickle-down effect works both ways. Yeah. You know, it's bad. To, the ripple effect is bad, too. And even if you weren't somebody who was laid off, you weren't somebody who had their house foreclosed on it doesn't mean you haven't felt the effect of what it's done to the economy to everybody
1: There should be a way to uh to not punish people who were uh playing by the rules, doing the right thing, paying their bills, not you know spending you know racking up ten twenty thousand dollars in credit card debt who just got screwed. By the recession. And now we're in a situation where they're kind of in the reverse position they were before the recession. And I'm talking about, let's, let's be, call a spade a spade here. I'm in that situation. Before the recession, I was fine. I was paying my bills on time. I, I had a wonderful credit score. You know, I had a great credit score. Uh, you know, I had a mortgage and all of those things. After the recession, my credit score sucks. Uh And, uh, you know, it's, you know, kind of, it's taken me a long time as a business owner, and I am a business owner, uh, to kind of scramble out of the hole. And so that's kind of a messy process. But it's, it's, it's happening. I just get, you know, frustrated when things are done to me uh, because of circumstances beyond my control. There's an injustice there. And there ought to be a way to uh, sort of weed out the people who have been doing, trying to do the right thing and who got snowed under. And one of the things I suggested on the blog was, uh, you know, if you meet certain qualifications, your credit score gets rolled back to where it was, uh, you know, in January of 2007, before all of this happened, or 2008, it doesn't matter, pre-recession. I mean, you talk about, a, uh, you know, stimulating the economy without having to spend a single penny. That's one idea. That is, you know, there's, I mean, the other idea is, is kind of what you said, Chez, which is just why don't we just, or what you were alluding to, why don't we just bail out average people? Right. Why don't we give them money to pay down their debt or to reduce the principal on their mortgage?
2: Because that would be socialism. <laughs>
1: of course. Un- un- unlike the socialism that happened with the TARP bailouts. Right, exactly. Corporate socialism. Yeah.
2: You and I talked about this quite a while ago, and I, I know that we talked about it in relation to something from my personal life, which we'll talk about, by the way, more in the after show. Thank you very much. Um, so I'm not going to go down that road again. But I think that the people sort of that insulated community that I was was talking about, I think that a lot of them, not only are they sort of cut off, but I think that they all sort of have not just the the, the let them eat cake way of thinking, but the sort of Herman Cain-esque look. Um. You can, you know, if whatever's happened to you, no matter what it is, you've done it to yourself. If you couldn't survive this, if you weren't strong enough or resourceful enough or whatever the hell it is to be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it through this, this tough time and not let it do to you what it's done to you. Well, you know, tough shit. That's just a that's a comment on the kind of person you are.
1: Yeah, I want to sit down with
2: you're obviously, you know, it's Darwinism and survival of the fittest and you just can't handle it and and suck on my yacht.
1: I mean, I want to sit down with dicks like that, like Herman Cain and say, Okay, you you tell me the solution to this. You're an average middle class American. You've got a family of four uh, and you make, uh, let's say, $80,000 a year. You got a mortgage you're trying to save for college, kids college. You've got uh, two cars. And you've got, let's say, a reasonable amount of credit card debt. Maybe two grand credit card debt spread over three cards or something like that. That's
2: reasonable. Ugh. I mean, it, that's amazing.
1: No, yeah, that's amazingly low, isn't it? Am I, yeah. am I low-balling it? Uh, oh, let's say five grand.
2: <laughs> Even that's <laughs> amazingly low. Jesus.
1: <laughs> Should, do I, mean, I mean, need the not, to the ante include actually you? Not,
2: I'm speaking as somebody who right now doesn't have a ton of credit card debt. But, yeah, at one time, oh, holy shit. Yeah. Well –
1: Let's just that's say why that's, I just the, pay that's the pay
2: scenario I month That's just easier that way.
1: This guy, uh, let's say the, 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 the dad has this uh, eighty thousand dollar a year job, mom has a seventy thousand dollar a year job. They've got this mortgage. They've got all these things happening. Uh, they both get fired.
2: Dad has a mistress to
1: take care of. Mom has
2: a cohabit.
1: Got the Gumar on the side. So the they're they're both fired. Okay. Say, well, Herman Cain's solution is, well, go get a job at. At Godfather's Pizza, oh really? yeah,
2: actually, that that actually
1: is his solution. That's his. That's absolutely his solution. Okay, you get that job at Godfather's Pizza. How do you pay your two thousand dollars a month uh, first mortgage? What about your uh, you know three four hundred dollars in uh, credit card payments a month? What about your utility bills? What about what about that second mortgage, that home equity loan, or the the uh, home equity line of credit, the HELOCs that they were dishing out like uh coca-cola prior to the recession what if there's another you know 200 dollars a month payment on that how do you how do you pay all those bills herman newt mitt with uh a godfather's pizza salary so you're only uh you know you're working 39 hours at god well, mitch,
2: mitch just pulls a ten thousand dollar bill from out of his wallet <laughs> yeah
1: ten
2: thousand dollars and uh you know, Newt uh, doesn't spend uh, however much one weekend at Tiffany's.
1: Well, the, I mean, the, the obvious answer here is the guy goes into debt. This family goes into severe debt because then what they do is they continue to float their bills on credit cards. They yeah. end up paying their, their, their car payments on credit cards. They're paying their utility bills on credit cards. They're making ends meet through their credit cards. All right. then the, Then they can't keep up with that. So they end up becoming delinquent or, they, or maybe they try to extend their electric bill out a couple of months. And then they, their, uh, their water gets shut off and they have to pay $150 just to have the water shut back on when all it takes is a guy in a room pressing a button. All right, so you, then you've got collection agencies into the mix. And then they're not telling. So suddenly these people are in prison and they did nothing but pay, play by the rules. But they got snowed under by a crappy economy, lost their jobs, couldn't find another decent job that could afford to pay the bills that they uh, had accrued prior to the recession. And I'm talking about normal, average American middle class bill—a mortgage, you know, yeah. some sort of college fund, but, but it goes back.
2: That also goes back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, I think I brought it up when, n- not not simply. You know, because what I can tell you what Herman Cain would say, he would say, well, you know what, go out and get six jobs or whatever. My family did it. And the problem is that people like that have come to believe that that is the optimal uh, uh, solution for America, Mm -hmm. that in America in the year 2011, after all the advancements we made when it came to our middle class, that somehow we should all go back to this this economy where, I mean, you know, people are already busting their asses in this country. They were busting their asses before the the economy crashed. And to go back to this, you know, that somehow it's okay. Um, It's not a worst case scenario to be working like four or five jobs. You know, three during the week and an extra one on the weekend and you're freelancing, doing something else. And I mean, that's what really pisses me off. Well, my question is, go do this. How do you find? Well, you can go fuck yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, how do you find the one job? much less the four right. jobs. Right, exactly, and then there's that. Find one job that will, that will actually hire you when they're, when they're willing to hire, you know, a 17-year-old to flip burgers. Let's say they're going to hire a 39-year-old family of four head of household, right? Right. Not in a million years. Find Nine that employees. job. You know what? There, there, are, there are four uh, job seekers for every one job opening. In 2001 when George W Bush was inaugurated, that ratio was 1 to 1. It is now 4 to 1. At the height of the recession, it was 7 to 1. 7 job seekers for 1 every one job. There are 11,000 or 11 million people, 11 million people uh who simply cannot find a job because there are no job openings. They're seeking them, but they're not there.
2: When I was unemployed, and obviously, look, I lost my job because of my own stupidity. I mean, stupidity, whatever you want to call it. My own uh, uh, desire to, you know, say whatever the hell I felt like saying on the air. That's how I lost my job at CNN. I make no bones about that. Um, but, you know, the economy crashed not long after that. So suddenly it became very, very difficult. You know, freelancing was one thing. but suddenly became very, very difficult to to find work anywhere, doing anything. And one of the problems that I ran into was, you know, my wife and I just had a brand new baby. And so the the issue that I had wasn't simply, hey, you know what, go out and get a crappy ass job or go get any job or anybody will hire you. It became, and I know a lot of families go through this, whether you're, you've got a, a, a little uh, boy or girl to take care of or whatever. But uh, a lot of the problems, it's whether or not you can take care of your family and hold down a job. Because I know that, when I was looking for work, one of the problems that I kept running into was, will this job pay me enough to make it worth not being home and taking care of my kid? And that when I say, and I mean that financially, I mean, will it cost me more to put my little tiny baby either in daycare or hire a nanny or something like that for the money that I'm going to make to go out and uh, you know to actually leave and and take a bus or take the subway or whatever the hell? It was when I was when I was living full time in New York. To go, you know, would that pay be more, uh, would would it be any more than I'm paying to basically have my child taken care of when I can stay home and try to freelance from there and at least if nothing else get some daycare out of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're basically... By the way,
2: I'm you and I talked about this. I'm actually going to say this out loud for anybody who's listening on the podcast tonight. If I sound like I'm a mess tonight talking in circles, it's because I'm getting what they call in the industry through the entire show Mix Plus, which basically means every single thing I'm saying, because of whatever our Skype connection is tonight, it's slapping back to me like a half a second afterwards, so I'm hearing myself in my ears, and it's making me insane. So yeah, if I sound like a freaking idiot that's why
1: well and here's a good indication of your professionalism you've had this problem for like the last three four shows <laughs> this is not the. it's not unique well, to I, today no
2: see, see you suck because i was feeling like i really sounded like crap tonight so i was gonna figure out a way to get myself <laughs>
1: off-, off so did i just ruin your excuse like,
2: uh, you know what damn it because last week at least it, you know i made myself sound somewhat respectable this week, I'm just I'm talking in all kinds of circles.
1: Well, you sound fine. I mean, while we're making excuses, it's like 110 degrees in my apartment right now because, because oh. I, had to, I had to close up all the windows uh, because the painters are outside still painting the building. But anyway.
2: Yeah, but my when I, every time I talk, it's like, uh, once again, another airplane quote. It's we've got to concentrate, concentrate, echo, echo, now pinch hitting for Pedro Bourbon, Manny, Manny Mota. That's what it sounds like to <laughs> me.
1: Right. And you know what else is, uh, at this point, we're just super late with the show. So we've got to get all with this. Excellent. BubbleGenius.com uh, is the official and exclusive sponsor of the show. Big changes on the show coming up uh, next year. This is the, our last show of 2011. Show of the year. Last show of the year. We'll be back in full force in January with all new things to talk about and big, huge developments on the show. I'm such a tease. You are. Uh, Here's the latest uh, words from Bubble Genius. Back the holes with Bubble Genius.
0: Bubble Genius has plenty of amusing, natural, and affordable bath and body products for everybody. Mistletoe soap on a rope? We got it right here. Looking for a set of holiday light bulb soaps? We got that, too. (laughs) Oh yeah, and gift packs for dogs. Come check us out for the holidays. Or any day. She didn't mention the nap powder. Yeah, I know. BubbleGenius.com The Bubble Genius Bob
1: and Chez Show. I'm going to let the, uh, the the lady British uh, simulated voice character say the promo code thing. Let's see if this will see if this will work.
0: Enter your promo code Bob and Chess for fifteen percent off.
1: <laughs> let's try that again.
0: Enter your promo code Bob and Chess for fifteen percent
2: off. There you go. And play with my balls. <laughs> That's what I had mine saying, telling
1: you. Uh, yeah. I'm just imagining you're just you're sitting there typing in all kinds of provocative things, imagining yourself with electronic. Uh, British voice lady.
0: Enter your promo code, <laughs> Bob and Chess, for 15% off.
1: 15% off your whole order from BubbleGenius.com. Yes. I didn't have enough time to type in the whole, the whole spiel. Um, <clears throat> what else is going on? Well, we don't have much time left in the show, so we just get to something uh, something, uh, something, quick and dirty here. What do we want to do? We're going to talk about the, uh, the right-wing group's anti-Christmas list. That sounds like fun. That sounds like a lot.
2: Oh, I, th- I don't even know about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is the uh, so I'm I'm, trying, I'm bringing up the page here. on Please, <clears throat> not more the war progress. on Christmas bullshit. Yeah, it's the war on Christmas bullshit, is what it is. All right, there's a group called the American Family Association. We've all heard about them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: These are the uh, these are the companies that say they say are against Christmas. So you shouldn't sh- shop at these places because they hate Christmas. Not really, Banana Republic. And by is- hating
2: Christmas, you mean that they're just saying. Happy Holidays.
1: That's exactly right. They're wages. Because
2: not everyone is Christian.
1: No, they've actually taken up arms, Chaz. I mean, the guys at Banana Republic, instead of being just extra douchey and annoying in the dressing room, they just, they've got machine guns. And if you say the word Christmas anywhere near them, they blow your brains out. Uh, Banana Republic, Barnes & Noble. Those,
2: those, uh, those uh, suicide vests made of Chino. <laughs>
1: Family Dollar, Foot Locker, Gap, L.L. Bean, Limited Brands, Office Depot, Old Navy, Radio Shack, Staples, Super Value, and Victoria's Secret. They're they're all against Christmas.
2: Mm, I'm sure. Because they're not benefiting from it or anything. (laughs) They're not profiting from
1: it hugely. Oh, God. Well, you know, it's it's... (laughs) listening to right-wing radio. They're all everyone believes that Barack Obama is waging a war on Christianity. I mean, that's the wording they say. The that most this guy,
2: powerful religion in America. Mm-hmm. And they still have the ability to play the victim card.
1: Yeah, I think it's something like 70% of America is Christian.
2: It's just its ridiculous. It's just fucking ridiculous. You know, and I, I think there was somebody I know, uh, one of my Facebook friends who who put up something about the, you know, obviously... The kind of Facebook friend who was somebody I knew years ago, who, you know, just decided to friend me out of the blue just because for old time's sake, who put up something about, you know, how keep Christ in Christmas and all and all that. And I say Christmas and you should stand with me. And uh, fantastic. And all I could think of the only analogy that I could think of is it, it's like. It would be like demanding as an American that you can go up to someone who is, say, from Australia and say, Happy Thanksgiving and get pissed off that they don't care anything at all about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Not every single person believes what you believe. And there's there there's no offense intended in saying that there are more uh, uh, holidays going on besides just Christmas at this time of year. Yeah. Well, you know, again, but I'm but I, but, it, but even as though even as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm like, why am I saying this? It, it's not it shouldn't even be necessary. It's so fucking basic common sense. But, you know, the the same paranoia that these people just have to play up, I'll never understand it. It's got to be so difficult going through life being that way, where everything is a big conspiracy against you
1: yeah well it's it's the same as the uh conspiracy against white people that Pat Buchanan seems to believe there is but the, uh, right. yeah that's right the the most powerful race i mean especially if you're a white male you know i well, who was it's who said it you know uh god I think it was Bill Maher. it might have been John Stewart you know when are they going to get our the the, the the their boots off the throats of white men you yeah. know for God's sake you know we've ruled the world for god only knows how many millennia
2: i don't think there's. the it's the chris rock gag where where he talks to all the white people in the audience he says none of y'all would trade places with me and i'm rich
1: (laughs) or louis ck talking about going back in time you can go back to any time and if you're a white male it'd be great but no i mean not there's not a single black black, man
2: you can go back to what did he say maybe like
1: 1972 1980 (laughs) like they can't go anywhere prior to 1980 you know, you could go back to the year one and suddenly show you didn't, he says, I didn't even know what was happening in the year one. But I could just show up there and go, hey, we've got a table right here for you, sir. Sit down. <laughs> really. But yeah, it's, it's that way about Christianity, too. But you know what it is? There are Christians who are actually quite militant about their religion and fearful. And some of them actually want a, you know, a religious war because it, it actually feeds the end days mythology. With the end times mythology
2: well that you know that goes back to the the tebow thing tebow thing that we started with which is um hmm. some i think somebody wrote when i posted my my really rude comment on facebook um somebody said something about him uh uh what i what did it say it, it basically said how would christians feel if uh every time like so let's say tebow were an unabashed and unapologetic atheist and every time uh, he scored or he did something great on the field. He looked right into the camera and basically said, where, you know, where is your God now? <laughs> How would they feel about that? Right. All these people who are defending Tebow, you know, Tebow's uh, right to say what he means. And, you know, and if the roles were reversed, if he weren't a Christian, those people would be shitting a banana. Yeah. They're so into being
1: victimized. Shitting a banana, which, by the way, is is God's soda can. Remember, remember that thing? That uh, Ray Comfort and uh, Kirk Cameron video about the banana? <laughs> you know, the banana was designed by God to specifically fit into the, a human's hand. Right. And into a human's mouth, and then he does the gesture of inserting the, ba- the banana into his mouth. with the-
2: Yep, why not?
1: If you want something to laugh at and you've never heard of this thing, go to YouTube and type in Ray Comfort banana. But I was gonna say the other side of this coin is the, uh, is you know the, the wingnut media establishment that is playing it up just for ratings. Because you know? I mean that's what it's all about. I mean David Frum said it best. That, you know, there's a, conservatism right now is playing to a market segment. They don't care about ideology. They're just saying whatever works and whatever gets you know the sixty-year-old men who listen to it uh, to uh, get all freaked out by their shitty shit on their websites. That's what they do. Every single one of these Wingnut Radio guys selling something on their website, right? And it's crap. It's all crappy swag. Um. So, Christmas break, we're going to be off a couple of weeks. We're going to be back in January with uh, new shows. We're going to be back with the after-party show, which is going to be a second show every week by subscription only. Be able to order per month or per year, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be huge. There's going to be this show is going to be uh, all blue. And extra embarrassingly personal. <laughs> you want to subscribe. And uh, and a big announcement when we get back in January about the future of the show and where you can actually hear the show. And I'll fix my microphone. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Drive safely. And we'll see you after the holidays, Jeff.
2: Have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Merry, damn it.
1: Merry Christmas to you, Emporium. <laughs> Bye, all.
0: Give us a big kiss. Cheers. Merry Christmas!